Dave and Ryan's movie review, take four, and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by nobody. Dave and Ryan here with you, ready to talk good movies, bad movies, and everything in between. Oh, yeah. Are you feeling it today? I am feeling it a lot more than I was a few minutes ago. All right. Well, let's... let's not a big week for there were no real big releases out this week. No, it was it was pretty slow, pretty quiet. So we actually went back and we'll talk more about it in just a moment. I went back and released a film that or reviewed a film, excuse me, that was released last week. Elemental. We'll talk about that coming up. Um, but first, before we get anywhere and do anything, we got to talk about Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard. A place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, so first off, we got to talk about the box office because a couple of movies were released last week and did not fare very well. First up, um, The Flash ended the week with $55.7 million. That is a disappointment. Yeah. And as you would say, so was the movie. Yes, the movie, in my opinion, was very, very bad. All right, and Elemental, which is a scary opening for a Disney movie. This is the lowest opening for a Disney Pixar movie, $29.6 million. That's not good either. No, but Elemental was getting a lot of hate for no reason at all. True, and we'll, we'll talk more about yeah. that coming up in just a moment. Um, Spider-Man Across the Universe, and I remember just this is just for the week, 27.3. Uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. 20.7 and Little Mermaid is floundering with 11.1 uh, million dollars. She's, she's keeping swimming. She is. She's just hanging there for just a little while longer. So we'll see how that all shuffles out going into next week. Um, another story that came out, and <laughs> I don't know why we get these stories. It was a slow week in Hollywood, apparently. John Hamm, in a recent interview, uh, said that it was supposed to be him and not Ben Affleck that was being terrorized by Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl. Really good movie. If you've never seen it, I suggest you check it out. Uh, he says, unfortunately, he was stuck filming Mad Men at the time. Who cares? Oh, that was a good show, but... Who cares? Yeah. John, nobody cares. It's okay. We we still like you, but nobody really cares about that John one. Uh, Golden Globe winner Hugh Grant has entered talks to star in... This is a scary movie, Heretic. Uh, a new horror film to be directed for A24 by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who also wrote the script. Uh, the plot details are kind of under wraps, but it has to do with two young women of faith who are lured into a cat and mouse game in the home of an eccentric man. So it's like an escape room movie. Somewhat, yeah. But uh, you know what? Uh, we had to talk about Hugh Grant because I loved him in Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, yeah. He did an amazing job. Great. And if you haven't seen that one, go back and watch that one, yes. too. Bye. And uh, True. And then wrap it up, um, Steven Spielberg, kind of some heavy hitters. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson have set an emergency meeting with Warner CEO David Zaslav over the future of Turner Classic Movies. Now, these guys are kind of concerned with all the cuts 
at Warner Brothers that they may just gut Turner Classic Movies and get rid of the thing completely. And it would be really sad because it is kind of a storehouse for classic and older movies, and people enjoy that channel. It is. It, you know, I find myself watching it every now and then. You know, you're flipping through the channels and an old movie that you like's on, and, it, you know, you sit down and you watch it. My favorite thing when on Turner Classic is Halloween, when they start showing all the old horror mm. movies and the scary movies. That's a fun time. But, you know, Turner Classics kind of kept things going after AMC kind of completely switched gears because that's how AMC started out. Yeah. And then they went off into doing their own thing and own TV and TV shows and things like that. And now they're known more probably more for The Walking Dead than being a classic movie channel when they first started out. Yeah, yeah. All right, so coming up in today's show, we're going to be talking about Elemental. That was our review. We'll talk more about that. And then we figured that since we talked about The Flash and we went and saw The Flash last week, this week... Now that we have some numbers that have started to trickle in, we're going to talk about superhero fatigue. Is it a real thing? Is it? I, I think we've kind of come to the conclusion on superhero movies, what the problem is with it, and we'll talk about that. And then one of my favorites, this is going to be a great segment, uh, so bad that it's good. <laughs> I know you were looking forward to that one. And we have picked a couple of stinker movies that for some reason keep hanging in there so <laughs> we'll talk about those in just a little while as well but first before we go anywhere since we're talking superhero fatigue we had our guy in the dark room do an honest movie review of batman and robin and here it is we should get him a nightlight. it's now time for an honest movie review today we go back to 1997 and look at batman and robin the action fantasy flick Starring George Clooney. My name is Freeze. Learn it well. Voice the chilling sound of your doom. This is the way the world could end. With a kiss. With Venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison Ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. This movie just plain sucks. Can't wait to speak with you again next week. All right, there you have an honest movie review of Batman and Robin. And if you've seen The Flash, you know how important that movie was, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, I do. All right, we'll be back in just a second with our review of Elemental. Everyone on set, shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment one, action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it. So you're the first to hear about it. And this week's latest release is Disney Pixar's Elemental. In a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live together, a fire a young woman and a go-with-the-flow guy discover something elemental, how much they actually have in common. Let's see what Dave and Ryan think of Disney Pixar's Elemental, now playing nationwide. Okay, so this movie came out last week, and, and we went and reviewed The Flash, and we figured this movie we'd do this week. And it, it, it basically does. It summed it up. It's, it's really... Here's my problem with the movie, okay? 
Let's hear it. And you're going to say every movie's that way, and maybe that's the problem with movies. It's the same story that we've heard a hundred times. It's just told in a different way, which was actually kind of cool, a little bit different, but it has to do with um, Ember, who is yeah. our fiery person, and Wade, who is water. And it begins with kind of like, as we, we, we talked about it, the fact that it's kind of like a refugee story a little bit. Her yeah. parents came from their homeland to start a show and, or to start their own business, and it didn't work. It worked out for them. It was great for them. And, of course, is tradition they want to turn it over to her and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on to her so she can take it over. Um, but it never works out that way. And Wade kind of comes into her life by accident, literally, and they find out that maybe they do have a lot in common and they can coexist and be together and it's okay. And that's kind of where the movie goes. I don't know what you, if you took anything differently away from it. No, it's definitely, you know, it's a classical rom-com, but with like kind of a refugee type of twist to it. Um, as you said, you know, they do uh, meet by chance. And um, unlike you, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I know it's kind of a, you know, a story that's been told over and over again. But like I was talking to you earlier, you know, rom-coms, the people why why people like rom-coms is we don't get a bunch of them a year. We maybe get two or three a year. They don't come out as often like superhero movies that come out maybe once a month. But, you know, typical rom-com. And, and it's and it's a kid's show, so you got to remember that. It's geared towards kids. But it does have a lot, and I mean a lot, of adult humor in it. It is, and they'll pick up on that. I, I guess the one thing that also people need to realize when they go to this movie is that these are not two kids. No. They are young adults. Yep. And and so you, you have all of those things. Like, she feels like she would be letting her father down if she doesn't take over the business, and he doesn't really have a father. His father passed away, and his mother dotes on him. And, and there are a lot of funny elements to the movie. But at the end of the movie and at the end of the day, it's I, that's what I felt. It was just a story that we had heard before. It's a tale as old as time. Yeah. It's two people that are told by everybody that they can't be together. And at the end of the day, they, they find a way to make it work. Yeah. So I guess you could say it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet type of situation. That's what I was thinking as well, is, is that's exactly where I went with this. It's a, it is that kind of a story. Uh, interesting side note to the story. The guy that wrote the story... Uh, actually said that it was loosely based on his family and their struggles when they moved from Korea because oh. he, he kind of went into the whole thing. And that's the other part of it is it almost it sets out like a whole class structure, you know, like the water people live clear over here yeah. and the fire people have to live over here and you can't they can't mix and they can't be together and and all of those things. So it has all of those yeah, well, different well, that, elements. That's kind of like true to life now today. You know, there's Korean town, there's little Italy, you know, there is segregation. But, um, you know, like you were saying uh, uh, with the, the, the writer, um, this reminds me of a, a series that was on Netflix called Kim's Convenience. And it's very similar to this story uh, about a girl growing up who's going to take over her father's convenience store but wants to go on and do other things. And and that's the way, once again, that's how these stories always end up. At yep. the end of the day, it, it, it's fine. They're okay. Things work out the way that they're supposed to. Of course. Everyone and loves a happy ending. Plus, it's a Disney film. Yeah. The other thing about this, as with every Pixar short, or, or Pixar movie, excuse me, you're going to get a Pixar short at the beginning of it. And this one 
is Carl's first date. Carl from Up and his dog Doug, and it's just it's 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 really funny and it's it's great to revisit those characters and and to revisit that and see him getting ready for his first date that he's ever gone on and and it's really cute too. So uh, I gave this movie three buckets and, and uh, three popcorn buckets, and it's not because I didn't like it. Like but I said, heartless. I liked the movie. Your no. inner child is dead, Dave. I liked the movie, but I didn't love it. And, and that's why I gave it three popcorn buckets on this one out of five. And I completely disagree. I really like this movie. Uh, the animation was really well. The story, even though, you know, it's a tale as old as time, Dave. Uh, it's still a good one. They did it in a, a classy way with the twist with the elements. And I gave it four and a half. And once again, you're going to go to this movie and you're going to, and it's, it's a fun movie. Yes. It really is for the whole family. Take the whole family out. You're going to have fun with this one and go see it because it, it is a lot of fun. And I just, it just didn't do it for me mostly because we've, we've seen this story it, and it's the same story that we've seen over and over and over and over again. Because your inner child is dead. dead. It could be. Uh, the other thing about it is, as we kind of talked about in the beginning, um, did not fare very well at the box office as far no. as Disney standards are concerned. But it also had a lot of hate for, like, no reason. It's true. It's very true. And the other thing about it, too, is, and, and we'll touch on this a little when we get into superhero fatigue, it just seems uh, very trendy now and fashionable in Hollywood to beat movies up. Yeah. And uh, that's just wrong. Don't don't. I think a lot of people look at what the box office did, and they're like, oh, I don't want to go see that. That movie's not really good. Go see it. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. That's that's the best piece of advice that it, I can it's give It's sad that, you know, nowadays people have to hate to make money or to be popular with people. It's very, very true. So once again, Elemental for me, three popcorn buckets. Ryan? Four and a half. And then next week, oh, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Snap. We're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's going to be a lot of fun once again. Come and join us for the big premiere, all five movies, starting at 11 o'clock on Friday, June 30th at the Price Theater. I'll be there. Uh, We'll all be there having a good time. $10 for all seats reserved. So if you don't want to go to every movie, you don't have to. $30 for VIP. You'll get a popcorn bucket. You'll get the movies. You will get lunch from Rubens, and you're going to get a cool T-shirt as well. So come on out. Get those tickets at Castle Country Radio. Let's get you into that theater, and let's have a good time. All right, coming up, superhero fatigue. Is it a real thing? Hey, idiots. We're back from commercial. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment two, and action. Comic book and superhero movies. They certainly have found their place in cinema history. In fact, four of the top ten highest grossing movies of all time belong to Marvel. And because of that success, over the last 20 years, studios have produced superhero movies about as frequently as Nick Cannon produces kids. In 2004, we had five superhero movies released in a 12-month span. Jump to 2019, and that year alone, we had 10. 
And just last week, Warner Brothers released The Flash, which featured the return of Michael Keaton in the iconic Batman role. And despite being one of the most anticipated films of 2023, The Flash opened to a dismal $55 million haul over the weekend, putting it on par with DC Bombs Watchmen and The Green Lantern. And that begs the question, do moviegoers have superhero fatigue? And I'm sure Dave and Ryan have a lot to say on this topic. So buckle up. This is the most anticipated heavyweight showdown since Tyson and Holyfield. Uh, Ryan, just no ear biting. All right. I By the end of this segment, we're going to have an answer. Of, as far as what superhero fatigue really is, okay. That's right now. Yes, it does. Okay, we'll we'll get there. It's hard to judge the box office right now. Yes, because of you know, I I still feel like people are not a hundred percent out of this COVID funk yet and the pandemic funk, and streaming has killed movie theaters. Yeah, I don't. I don't really think it has a lot to do with COVID right now. I think it's uh, people's gotten used to just sitting home watching a movie. So if they don't have to go out, why would they? They have. So with that in mind, is it time to rethink what a blockbuster is? I think so. I, I see, and I, I think you're right. Now, it, it and in or it can be just certain franchises because here we just had Guardians come out. And it opened to $118 million. And as the as she just said, the Flash came in at 55. Now is it, you know, is it a Marvel thing? Is it a DC thing? Or with the Flash, is it an Ezra Miller thing? No, I, I think it's more of a story thing. Because superheroes movies kind of have the same type of story. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, the good guy's living his peaceful life, the bad guy shows up, does something bad, and then the good guy's gotta fix it. That's a typical superhero movie, but like with Guardians, you said, um, they don't have that traditional type of story. And I think that's why they do so well compared to like regular uh, DC or other Marvel type of movies. And I think that the Guardians one, too, had a lot to do with the fact that this was it. Yes. A lot of people wanted to go see it for that reason. Um, And as I said, Ezra Miller has had his own troubles. Uh, in and out of the law, people may be getting tired of him and tired of the story. I, I don't know. And if you look at uh, the last one that came out was Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, which opened huge. It was like a $106 million opening, but then it just kind of floundered. Yeah, uh, that was kind of a, a kickoff movie for, a, you know, the whole... Um uh, the quantum realm and that's sort of thing. And like what we're in right now with Marvel, that yeah. whole story. And, you know, you'd look at that 106 opening, the original, the first one opened to 57 and the second one was 75. So, I mean, it got exponentially better. So I guess that's a good sign. But I think also when it comes to Marvel, the Disney plus has a lot to do with it. Uh, yeah, um, I, I definitely think Marvel's kind of reached a plateau right now. And, you know, they, they do come out with some movies that are really good, like you said, uh, Guardians and, and the Ant-Man movie. Um, but the second one uh, just didn't do well. And I think, like I said, I think it comes down to story. It, it does. And the other thing, too, about um, Disney Plus is that they're just they're introducing so many new characters. Oh, yeah. There are so many new shows coming out that I... I just don't have time to watch all of them. Like I, I just spent the, uh, the 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 evening watching the new Secret Invasion. Now there's 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 characters in there that everybody knows. You've got you know Nick Fury, and you've got uh, Maria Hill, and you've got 
you know, Talos from the the uh, Captain Marvel movie, which maybe which I don't think a lot of people saw either. But then it's got new characters in it, and you've got Olivia Coleman, and you've got Amelia Clark, and they're trying to build a new story. I get that part of it, but it just it it I just feel like they're throwing too much at us ever at everybody right now, and I. I don't know if it's making if it was a matter of making money. I don't know if it was movies that were already in the can, and things that were already ready to go that we've got to talk about because, you know, uh, Bob Iger came back and took over Disney, <laughs> and he was like, you know what, we're going to slow down, and that's what I think needs to happen. Oh yeah, well look at the beginning. You know, uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, we used to get, uh, you know, four movies over five, six, seven years. You know. Uh, and now it's just like they're just throwing, you know, like I said, I, they hit the plateau and I think they're trying to throw so much uh, movies on top that they're trying to build uh, their way out. But it's just crumbling underneath them. And see, and I think that that when they first started, you go clear back to 2008 yeah. when you got the first Iron Man movie. And when they first started, you you would get them every now and then. I mean, it took them four years to get from Iron Man to the first Avengers movie. And, and they, but they were building a story. They were telling the story. They were building characters. They were taking their time to do it because they wanted to do it right. Yeah, they uh, they were building a, a background for each character, which uh, Marvel did very well. You know, with Iron Man, uh, Captain America, Thor. DC hasn't really built much background for any character. They figure everybody knows these characters, so let's just make a movie. And right, and I think honestly it's funny that you would bring that up. I think honestly that is why um, Spider-Man Homecoming worked so well because we don't need to hear the story. Yep. Everybody knows the story of Spider-Man. Yep, there's well, I mean, how many movies are there? 6, 7, 8, eight we, movies? We don't need to see Uncle Ben die again. Yeah. So everybody knew that story and so they, they didn't have to go back into that to begin with. But um, and, and speaking to taking their time now, Marvel just came out and said, OK, we're going to reorganize our whole slate. They've actually dropped two Marvel movies that were supposedly coming up that hadn't been mentioned yet as far as titles, but they've dropped them completely off the slate. Really? Um, the only movie out of the slate that they had scheduled that's getting pushed up is uh, Deadpool 3. And that's going to be, you know, this this is going to be a fun movie anyway because you get Ryan Reynolds, you get Hugh Jackman, yeah. and it's actually being pushed from uh, November of next year to May of next year. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, this is a great example of, you know, a different type of story that people want. You know, it's, it's rugged, it's um, gritty. And uh, the only other movie that I think in the past uh, few years that kind of changed the mold was uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok. It switched gears. And went in a different direction, and people loved that. It did, and and I really enjoyed Ragnarok, but I hated Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder was a setup movie for the next one. Love and Thunder was a not good movie. No. Um, and the funnier thing about it was, is is uh, Taika that directed Ragnarok directed Love and Thunder, and he kind of you know got everybody's confidence after after Ragnarok because it was a fun movie. Yeah. And then you come out with Love and Thunder and you're like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, but they had a few complications filming uh, because of the COVID restrictions. They did. That's very, very true. Um, but, you know, Marvel hopefully is trying to right the course and, and get things back. They've even pushed the next two Avengers movies have been pushed a year back. 
from when they were originally going to come out. Which they should because, uh, you know, hero fatigue is a thing. I know some people won't agree with me, but it is. It, it can be, but we th- I think there's a reason behind it, and we're going to talk about that coming up in just a second. Um, DC, now that's a completely different story because, yeah. as you said, they basically have, have they've ripped it down to the studs. Yeah. Right now, and and James Gunn and Peter Safran have kind of taken over, and they have a Blue Beetle, which is coming out in August. That they've said it's it's I don't know. And then you have confidence, and then you hear things like this. They said that Blue Beetle was going to be the first movie in the DCU. Okay. Then two days later, James Gunn comes out and says, "Well, he's going to be in the DCU, but he's not." part of the universe that i'm creating so what does that mean <laughs> i have no timeline I, I i don't know so uh, apparently to james gunn he says that movie uh the character will appear in some of the films that he has planned but he's really not part of his dcu and and they're doing the same thing dc with the uh the streaming service max they've got i believe six or seven TV shows that they're going to produce that are DC comics based. Yeah. I know, uh, they have, um, right now it's Titan. I believe Titans actually just got canceled after season four. Did it? Yes. So it just got canceled, but they've got other series coming out. Um, honestly, I, I found it kind of fun, but peacemaker with John Cena was a pretty good series. (laughs) I haven't watched, seen all of it, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, but Gunn is set to write and direct Superman Legacy that's scheduled to come out in July of 2025. And it's, it's the same Superman story. He is learning to be a Kryptonian on the planet Earth and just kind of taking over and, you know, fighting for truth, justice in the American way. Great. Another reboot. Yep. So that's what you're getting. And they're actually working on casting. Uh, right now, we talked about that last week. Yes. So there's that. But here's what I think it boils down to. I think that in the world of comics, there are stories out there, but there are better stories to be told. And I think that it boils down to the fact that we need better movies. Yes. Infinity War and um, Endgame, probably the perfect ending to a perfect story. Oh, I, I totally agree. And with nobody you. would nobody would probably argue with that point. Um, but now Marvel is getting back into story building again. And we just need to be patient, I think. But that does not mean that they're off the hook. Okay? Um, th- they're in such a hurry that it's just falling flat right now. And they've got to kind of reshuffle and rethink and say, okay, we can't do this. Yeah, I, I believe the biggest... Uh, uh, thing with the hero fatigue is um, rushing. They're rushing everything out, trying to get, you know, they're trying to make more money. Throw this out, throw this out, throw this out. And story uh, is what takes the hit because you can't write a good story in a short amount of time. Right. And the other thing, too, that Marvel did write the first time around, it's really cool when you take a character from a movie and have him, pl- the same actor, play the same character in another movie because of the fact that it gives us time to learn more about his story. Yeah. I love that about what they did in the first ones and they need to get back to doing that. Just don't rush it. And the other thing, and and we talked about this in the intro, 
it's just it's fashionable right now for actors to beat on you know superhero movies and Star Wars and and you know movies that at one point were successful like Michael Shannon I was talking to you about that Michael Shannon who played Zod in The Flash and in Man of Steel yeah. I just didn't get anything out of playing in the <laughs> Flash movie uh, you got paid yeah superhero movies kind of became the whipping boy they of have. Hollywood they have and I think the one thing that they're forgetting is there's a whole subset of culture out there of people in a population that love these movies and they have trusted Marvel and DC to do right by these characters. And outside of the infinity saga of Marvel and maybe the Nolan trilogy, they've let everybody down. Oh yeah. So I guess we just need to be patient. That's the most important thing. Be patient and, and see what they're doing with this. I'm hopeful that James Gunn is going to write the ship at DC and, and, and make everything okay. But you know, we're starting off on the wrong foot with all the, the movies that he's got in the slate and the TV shows that he's got. And so just be careful. That's all I can say. Yeah, I, I'm hoping he can he can turn that ship around. All right. Coming up. Boy, oh, boy. It's going to be time talking about movies that are so bad that they're good. We'll talk about that in just a second. All right, imbeciles, everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action. Here's the question of the day. Why is it so hard to look away from a train wreck? Well, studies have found that our negativity bias is also a driver of why we can't divert our attention from disasters. Oh. So, what does this have to do with movies? Well, whatever the reason, a truly horrid piece of work can become an unintentional riot, and it even gets its own fandom. Which makes perfect sense. Why else would anyone watch an Alec Baldwin movie? And so now, Dave and Ryan will tell us where the line lies between simply so bad it's horrible and so bad it's good. All right, I've been looking forward to this segment all week because, you know, we're, we're breaking it down kind of like we did last week. I picked my movie, you picked your movie, and then we'll discuss both of them. Uh, because there are, there are movies out there that don't mean to be bad. They were never intentionally meant to be this terrible, but they are. Oh, yeah. Whenever someone makes a movie, they don't intend or predict it to be bad. And, yeah, <laughs> but sometimes they it's just, it's just garbage. It's magic, isn't it? Oh, yeah. All right, so we'll get going. My movie is The Room. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Now, here's the thing about this movie. It is an amazing piece of filmmaking, okay? I know you thought I was going to go a different direction with that. No, but it's all right. It, it has everything to do with the writer, producer, director, and actor, Tommy Wiseau. Now, this guy, nobody really knows where he's from. Nobody knows anything hardly about him. In the movie or in real in life? In real life. He is that kind of a guy. He just They assume that he is from somewhere in like a... a a middle European country somewhere in that area. He has a really strange accent, but this is a story that he wrote himself. And the tagline of the movie is, can you really trust anybody? Okay. The movie itself was made for $6 million 
And the cast and the crew to this day are still wondering where the money went. Wow. (laughs) As I told you, there are scenes in here that were filmed on a rooftop. And it's all CGI. They filmed in San Francisco with plenty of rooftops. But they said it all as CGI and they did it in a parking lot. Really? Yes. So he just made strange things like that. And people even asked him, hey, you know, why don't we just go up on the roof and film this up there? He goes, because this is what I want. So you didn't ask him. You didn't do anything with that. Now, it centers around his character, uh, Johnny, who is in love with Lisa. Okay. And everyone, including her mom, likes Johnny. Okay. He's got a great job. He takes very good care of Lisa. He's always bringing her home gifts and things of that nature. And she really never wants for anything. So it's very perplexing when Lisa decides that she's going to have an affair with one of his friends in the building. Oh, a scandal. Played by Mock. Okay. <laughs> Nobody know, But like I said, everybody likes Johnny. But she just decides, I'm just going to go and, and start hanging out with the, the guy upstairs. Nobody knows why. And it's never explained. That's the, <laughs> that's the other part. Then you throw into the mix Denny, who's a kid that just apparently lives in the building somewhere. Okay. And he always comes around when uh, Lisa and Mark or Lisa and uh, Johnny, excuse me, are getting ready to have sexy time. So he's just it's very strange, the whole dynamic with Denny. And then you come to find out at one point that Denny's got a drug problem and it, it just spirals out of control. Now, Lisa's mom is unintentionally hilarious in this movie. Because they're sitting there talking and she goes, oh, and by the way, I heard from my doctor and I was absolutely right. I've got cancer. <laughs> and it's just that's wow. that's how it's handled. Then it's never wow. talked about again. Never, never talked about. And her mom is just one of these off the wall characters in the movie. But the funnier thing about the whole movie is I think that if this movie would have been labeled as a comedy it may have you know, been very, very popular, more popular when it first was released. Because as of right now, they have festivals you know, put to this movie. And people really? come together. They just, they're going to have one in Salt Lake. People go and see this movie and talk about this movie. And it, there was a book written about it uh, by uh, the, the guy that plays Mark called The Disaster Artist that was turned into a movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's a movie about the making of this movie. And James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau in the movie. I mean, it's it's just bizarre, the following that this movie has. So the, the funnier thing is, well, it's not really funny, okay? The movie, um, once again, nothing is ever explained in this movie. They go out, somebody, they, you don't know if they're having a wedding or if they're going to a party, but they're all wearing tuxedos, and they go out and play football. They, Why? They go out and play football in tuxedos. Yes, yeah, oh yeah. Wow. And, and there was even a part, you know, one of the interviews that was done with YSO, they asked him, why did you film that scene? And he's like, it's very liberating to go out and play football. And if you can do it in a tuxedo, why wouldn't you? That's my very bad Tommy Wiseau impression. But, you know, they just there's scenes like that that just do not under any circumstance, under any realm of possibility, make sense. I was going to say this movie. The way you're describing it makes absolutely no sense to me. I I don't know if I want to go watch it now. Yep, but you know, the and I think the thing that makes the movie the the most funny 
if that's a word, or the funniest part of the movie, let's put it that way, is the way he commits to the character of Johnny. It's like everybody else around him is taking this movie as a joke, so, and he so is serious. does he serious. have like a backstory of like who he is? No. You never know. <laughs> you, that's what I'm saying. Nothing is set up in this thing. It doesn't say anything about him. Like He works here. Or... He works at a bank. That's all you get. Don't know what he does. And he has a mother who has cancer. No, she has the mother that has cancer. Oh, she has. You never mother. even meet his mom or dad. No, no. Huh. But yes, and and once he finds out the tragic ending to our hero, <laughs> once he finds out that um, she is is having an affair with Mark, um, he he ends his own life, and that's where the movie ends. Wow, <laughs> turn a turn dark really. I'm fast. not. It does, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not saying that to be light, but this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna. I love a movie where everyone dies, but that is just dark. <laughs> this movie is so far out there. You need a flow chart. Maybe even GPS or a compass to keep track of things in this movie because it is just, it was not meant to be funny. But as I said, the thing that makes it the funniest is the way he is committed to the role. He is so committed to the role of Johnny, and he's a horrible actor, by the way. Really? He's so committed to the role that it is it just comes across as comical to a certain extent. All right? there That's, that, that's, that's, that's the crazy. room. And if you haven't seen it, just go watch it. <laughs> all right. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. So I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Well, speaking of James Franco, my movie this week is This is the End. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill is no more. Demon? Yes. That's not good. That's not good. <laughs> now, a lot of people don't like this movie just because of the people in it. But uh, it was directed by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. And I know a lot of people don't like Seth Rogen, but I find him hilarious. Now, it stars Seth Rogen, James Franco, Jonah Hill, and Jay Barshiel. And a slew of other uh, funny comedy actors that uh, made a bunch of movies in the early, late 2000s. I would say that anybody that you can think of around that time is in this movie. Yes. And so the whole story... uh, uh, kind of goes around of James Franco's having a housewarming party and he invites all of his friends and you kind of get you kind of see how um, the rich snobby people you know hang out and party and now with this movie everyone plays themselves James Franco plays James Franco Seth Rogen plays Seth Rogen but um, th- they play themselves kind of over the top so it's their personalities but like cranked up to 11 um, so, um, this actually, this movie was based off a nine minute short that, uh, Seth Rogen and Jay, um, made back in 2007 called Seth and Jay versus the apocalypse, which, uh, if you've seen it, they've, they've only released a little small trailer, but it is hilarious. And I think we get, you know, some of the behind the scenes cause they, they kind of do that in this movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> they they go around, they they uh, reenact um, sequels to movies that they've made, like Pineapple Express. <laughs> and uh, so so with the with this movie, uh, we actually talked about this earlier that uh, they were trying to go with an NC seventeen rating, but the movie got an R rating. So they were trying to go over the top with a lot of the stuff in the movie, but yet they still only got an R rating. And well. It was released as a rated R movie. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yes. <laughs> you know, we talked about the fact that this had to have been some drug-induced 
writing session. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they just went in a room, closed the door, and lit up and just started writing. <laughs> and just let her rip. Um, I, I watched this. I'd seen it before, and I watched it with my daughter the other night. And, you know, there are... There are some definitely Seth Rogen wrote scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, the whole demonic possession scene and how that occurs. Yeah, he wrote that. Yeah, One of my favorite uh, scenes in the movie is at the beginning when uh, Seth picks up Jay and they uh, they go get a burger. And Seth's telling about how um, how many times they're supposed to go to the bathroom and he's on... Uh, he doesn't do, uh, what is it, is it um, gluten. He doesn't eat gluten. And then they're sitting in the car eating cheeseburgers, and they're just like, ah, gluten. <laughs> yeah, what does he say? I'm, I'm on a cleanse. I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a, I can't even remember what he said. I just I just read it, too. But, yeah, that, that scene's pretty good. I like that one. Um, and, unfortunately, as much as he annoys me in other movies, every scene that Michael Sarah is in in this movie oh, kills me. Oh, yes. I was just going to get to that. But- <laughs> That you can talk well, about. Yeah, when he's in the bathroom, he's like, juice box, juice box. I want to sit. I want yeah, to sit. Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know exactly you know, what I'm talking you know about. right where that's going. <laughs> but I watched it with my daughter, and, and then I was talking to her about that we were going to talk about this movie, and I says, God, you know, it's just, it's just not a really good movie. She goes, I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't like it because of the, some of the content, you know, about the apocalypse and uh, the whole rapture that, thing. That's and, not what bothers people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, some, some of the things like the whole possession thing. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. That's what we were talking about it before he came on. And I was talking to, to Jordan. I says, you know, the scene where the uh, exorcism happens is like maybe the only exorcism scene I've seen where I actually was rooting for the demon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but another great scene is that is with Danny McBride and Channing Tatum. Oh, that's all you need to say. You can't even get into any more of it, really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's just say they're in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> they are. In a, in a post-apocalyptic world. Yes. And, and I want to get to that because I was, I was thinking about that today. I says, you know, that's one thing that bothers me about this movie, okay? You don't know if it's been two days or ten years that they've been trapped in this house. There is no concept of time. And it jumps like when they're making the movies and stuff like that. I don't know as though it ever references how long they've been trapped in the house. I know with uh, the Emma Watson scene, um, she said that she was hiding in a storm drain for two or three days before she got, went back to the house. So I would say it's probably roughly been probably about a week. The whole thing takes place in a week. I think so. Yeah. and <laughs> Once again, like we were talking about, the fact that this, I think... And I, I I hate to even admit that I've seen it, but I watched it out of a morbid curiosity. It's this amazing. one, no, this one and Sausage Party oh. were, were two <laughs> movies that Seth Rogen made, and it was almost oh. like hold this and watch what I can do. I'm sorry you saw Sausage yeah, Party. I, it was I I had to watch it, but that's what I'm saying. It was like a dare. These both of these <laughs> movies I think were made on a dare. Yeah, I think I think Seth Rogen was like, here, hold my beer. But it's like nobody's gonna let you make that. And he goes, yeah, they will. <laughs> I can get a lot. Of, I can get away with a lot of stuff if it's animated. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Sausage Party was. Yes. Um, but to that end, and talking about the elements of this movie, I still liked it. I, I there were funny moments in it. I'm not going to say that there wasn't. Oh yeah, uh, I really <laughs> like the ending. Speaking of funny moments, when Seth Rogen finally gets, you know, able to get ascended to heaven, and. 
James Franco grabs on and tries. He's like, take me with you. And then he falls. And he, you know, he lets Seth go so he can be saved. And then he's being saved. And then as he's floating up, he's cursing other people. And then God's just like, nope. And he falls back down to earth. Yep. What are you going to do? And I've got to say this, probably one of the best, uh, we'll call it a cameo, of a, of a 2000s boys band that I've ever seen on a movie. Oh, yes, the ending scene, yes. When he's riding on one of those uh, elliptical scooters. The, no, it's the it's a Segway. A Segway. Because he always wanted one, yep. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, you go ahead and give your final thoughts on this movie. I, I liked it. I'm gonna say I like this movie. Um, I know, like you, like I said, you know, a lot of people don't like some of the actors in there, but you're gonna have to get over that. Go watch this movie if you like raunchy comedy movies. It is a good one. There you have it. So really, we'll go see the room if you haven't seen it yet. See, this is the end. They're both so bad that they're good movies. Yes. All right, that's gonna do it for us this week. Next week, well, I'm gonna let the lady tell you all about it. And that brings us to the end of this week's journey. But don't worry, Dave and Ryan have more movies to watch and more opinions to spew next week. You'll be the first to hear about Harrison Ford and his return as Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny, opening nationwide June 30th. We'll also take a trip down memory lane and revisit the 1996 science fiction film Independence Day. You can relive and download today's episode at CastleCountryRadio.com. We'll see you next week on Dave and Ryan's Movie Review. I just enjoy your weekend. I'll see you next week.